Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. on the subject of forgiveness maybe a little <clears throat> skeletal structure if you will to approach it the guy who wrote the book is called Lewis Meads the book is called Forgive and Forget if anybody would like to get a copy of it it's old it's an old book as a matter of fact if you would read any modern day book on forgiveness they probably have referenced in their footnotes or their bibliography Mr. Smeads because of his work that he did but Mr. Smeads, although he was a professor of theology and ethics at a particular seminary, he did not incorporate a whole lot of scripture, so that's where I come into play. Amen. I had taken a little skeletal of some of his work and it went a whole lot further <clears throat> with it, in my opinion. No disrespect to him. Colossians 3 and verse 12 and 13. You're going to have to deal with the way that I sound, okay? This is just the way it is. And so, if you can deal with me sounding like this, I can deal with the way that I feel. All right. Amen. Colossians 3 and verse number 2. The Bible says, Paul to the church at Colossae, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I will not get through all these stages tonight. I'm just going to take my series title just to be the title of uh, the book I read just for whatever reason. Forgive and Forgive was the name of it. But tonight I want to talk to you and over the next few weeks perhaps about the four stages of forgiving the four stages of forgiving. How many know that we can't even exist in this life or church life for that matter without there being an ebb and flow of receiving and granting forgiveness? Let's pray tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. I pray, oh Lord, that you're able to help us this evening. God, as you would anoint, Lord, our minds and our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, above all things, let your word God, be a paramount, Father, in this place. Let it be, God, a beacon of hope. God, to each and every one of us, Lord, in our lives, I pray, oh God, that you're able, Lord Jesus, to orchestrate something within our spirits. God, as your word touches us again in the fresh. <laughs> be, Lord Jesus, the voice of truth, God, that would speak in this place and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul is addressing the church of Colossae in the book of Colossians. And he is speaking to them about them becoming new creatures in Christ Jesus. Their new birth experience, which a lot of the epistles concentrate upon and as a result of speaking to them he's talking about in this new birth experience and somewhat I guess even what we looked at in Peter that whenever you enter to this new creature experience or this new birth experience with the Lord that there are some things that you take off is the way that Paul describes it you take off that was a part of your old man your old way of life but you do not take off some things without putting some things on so you don't leave yourself vulnerable, so to speak. So he says there's some things that you take off a part of, of that old man characterization. And there are some things that you put on as a result of your new birth experience. The new man that you are in Christ Jesus. And so among these things that he is admonishing them in verses 12 and 13 to put on. You can see the list before you. He's talking to them about 
putting on of mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind and long-suffering and so on and so forth. And when we come to verse number 13, he tells us that among the things that they should or ought to put on is they should put on practicing uh, forbearance and forgiveness toward one another. And the model then that the Apostle Paul gives us could be no better. The model that he gives us that we could pattern or example our lives by whenever it comes to forbearance and forgiveness is that of Christ Jesus. Amen. He says, if you want to know how to forgive your fellow man or even how to accept forgiveness from him, if you want to know how to forgive, though, consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as Christ has forgave you, so also do ye. And so since Christ has granted to each and every one of us forgiveness, he says, let that be the model, let that be the pattern for you uh, to also offer forgiveness to your fellow man. And not only concerning Christ, not only did he model that for us, not only did he example that uh, to us, amen, in our lives, but he had also admonished his disciples. Jesus Christ did in the real world as he lived upon this earth. He had told his disciples uh, that forgiveness was something that even needed to be preached. Now that's a big thing to think that it's, it's not just something so, so second nature that it doesn't need talk about. He said in Luke 24 and verse 47, Jesus to his disciples, he said in that repentance, someone can finish it, and remission, many of the translations convey that, and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so he modeled it for us, but he even underscores to that close-knit group of 12 that this is something that needs to be talked about. We need to talk about this concept and idea of forgiveness in your generation. Even so much so, it's something that needs to be talked about, amen, at, at the day of Pentecost to every nation, creed, and race that is gathered together. And so if remission of sins or forgiveness of sins was important enough for Jesus to tell his disciples this is something we need to talk about, then it's something that we need to talk about, amen, in our modern day. We, when we invest ourselves in deep personal relationships, there's something that happens. We open our souls to the wounds of perhaps at times another's disloyalty or even sometimes their betrayal. And so whenever you enter a relationship at any level, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a relationship with a friend, but whenever you enter a relationship or have a relationship on any level with any other person upon the earth, you automatically make yourself vulnerable. Soon as you enter a relationship, uh, to whatever degree it may be, you make yourself vulnerable. And part of that vulnerability then of entering into a relationship someone, with someone is this. And that is you allow them, by entering into that relationship, being vulnerable before them, you allow the possibility that that person in your life will, and I say that purposely, will eventually hurt you. Mm-hmm will eventually hurt you. As a matter of fact, it's an inevitable part of life. You will be hurt by probably everybody that you've ever been in a relationship with. Wow. I didn't know it was going to be like this. You're making me work hard and I feel bad. That's the way it happens sometimes. Being hurt is just a part of relationships. The Bible supports what I'm saying. Or let me say it like this. I support what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs 27 and 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now there's three words in that sentence right there that seem just almost like they shouldn't go together. Faithful, wounds, and friend. But God had the, the, the writer of wisdom here to piece them together. Faithful are the wounds of the friend. You know what that means? You can depend upon being wounded by a friend. It's really what it comes down to. Even at the basic level of friends, you can depend upon being wounded by a friend. I'll go as far as to tell you, you can be, depend upon being wounded by your pastor. You can depend upon being wounded by another saint sitting across the aisle from you. You can depend upon being wounded and hurt by your spouse 10, 20, or 50 years. 
It's just part of relationships. The Bible says in James 3 and 2, James 3 and 2, he says, for in many things, everybody say many, for in many things we offend all. Wow, that's another sentence that's kind of difficult to grapple with, Brother Terry, because he didn't say in some things we offend some, but he said in many things we offend all. Once again, a part of the dynamic of relationship, no matter how, how close or disconnected that may be, you're going to find yourself somewhere along the way with a hurt, with, 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 with some type of uh, offense, if you will, that has taken place between you and the other person. But here's the thing, and I'm just trying to get my feet into the water. It might take me a little bit. But if we wait, here's our minds, if we wait to forgive people, until they say they are sorry, here's what happens. We make ourselves hostages to the very person who wronged us to begin with. If it's like, no, I'm not going to forgive them until they say they're sorry. I'm not going to forgive them until they come groveling in my presence with, with glossy eyes and saying, you know, this is what I've done and so on and so forth. If you do that, then you're going to be held hostage about Allowing yourself to go on with your life and moving past your hurt based upon whether or not they come and apologize to you. It was from the cross. We just had Resurrection Sunday last Sunday, right? It was from the cross that Jesus said what? One of the famous statements from the cross. There were just a few of them, but one of the famous statements from the cross was this in Luke 23, 34. Father, what was it? Forgive them. Look, for they know not what they do now here's the fact of the matter even Christ could not adequately bear the sin in his body their sin in his body without forgiving their sin Ooh. and here's something else their action toward the Lord taking him to judgment saying crucify him taking him to Golgotha having the, 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 the thronging and, and all of those things that happened, the crown of thorns and, and the beating on the back and the spear and the nails through hands and feet, all their actions toward him, guess what? Was something that they thought was justifiable. They thought they were absolutely correct in what they were doing. If I say it like this, they thought Jesus deserved what he was getting. They did. They really did. They thought Jesus got what he was deserving. They did not realize until later. Somewhat later, they did not realize until later that they had done a horrible thing. That it wasn't really justice that they were serving. They realized later that he really was an innocent man. But they had done all these things to him thinking that it was justifiable. Now, let's think here for a moment. This was... A case in which waiting for the I'm sorry before forgiveness happened didn't happen. Because the Bible says, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No one had come groveling before the cross while he was hanging there. Sorry, Lord, we're sorry we put you up there. No one came and started to make pleadings. Oh, uh, uh, please, please, please forgive us for everything we did. No, no, no. Because at this stage, they didn't know they had anything to be sorry for. They didn't know they had anything to be sorry for. They thought they were properly dealing with a man that was claiming to be God. That's what they seen in their mind's eyes. Here's a man that's claiming to be God. That's blasphemy. Take him to the cross. That's justice being served. Amen. Or here's a man that's claiming to have God-like characteristics. Man, he shouldn't be doing this. Let's take, let's, let's take justice in our hands. Let's get this thing done. Let's crucify him. But it was only after Jesus' proclamation, amen, through Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, that whenever Peter preached that message and he begins to relay to his listeners this very thing, that the very Jesus that you crucified, the very Jesus that you crucified was the Messiah that you were looking for. And it's whenever this happened that the Bible portrays to you and I and they were pricked in their heart. What happened? They come to understand they had hurt somebody. They had come to understand that they had done the deed. But before they came to the acknowledgement of that or said, I'm sorry for even doing that, Christ overforgave them for their injustice. So people don't have to say they're sorry in order for you to forgive. Amen. Don't, don't, 
Forgiveness can happen before they ever say they're sorry. In some respects, some people may be similar to the people that was in the crowd of Jesus' day. They thought you, they just gave you exactly what you deserved. Well, glory, amen, thank you, Jesus. But it was at that stage when they heard the proclamation of Peter that, hey, you know what, we did hurt someone deeply and we did do some, something to someone very wrongfully. But here is the mentality of humanity. Here is the mentality of flesh and blood. For us, our sense of fairness tells us that people should pay for the wrong they did. Right? People should pay for the wrong they did. Get what's coming to them. And all those other phrases. And so whenever we start to adopting the idea, well, they should, they should, they should pay for the wrong that they did. You know what happens? We become trapped. We become trapped by holding our hurt because they did something wrong to us holding our hurt we're trapped by that and we're trapped by every other emotion that we might be leveraging against them for them having done what they did until what i'm gonna i'm gonna hold on to all this until i personally feel like they've paid or suffered for their wrong i'm not gonna let up on the stink eye to them huh until I feel like they've had as much hurt as they gave to me. Amen. But all you've done in doing that has trapped yourself and chained and balled yourself to some feelings and emotions by the most part that are negative, that are not healthy for your physical body, not healthy for your emotional body. And so whenever we do this, we're paying what in reality what we do we're paying for the negative effect of holding negative emotions huh against somebody we have the power to forgive because deep hurts never we, we deep hurts we never deserve to flow from our our dead past into our living present but that's oftentimes what happens because we hold on to our hurts and our emotions and our pains we're like carrying something from the past along into our future and so rather than just being a moment in time it affects and it penetrates and infiltrates every area of our future because we've not let go of it quite yet or we've not forgiven the injustice quite yet and so rather than it being a moment it turns into a decade and it starts then having impacts on other areas of our life where we deal, walk, and do. Someone say amen. And so countless times as a pastor, let me, let me tell you where that stuff shows up. There's people that have them problems in their marriages because they never forgave a past hurt from their family life. Amen. And then there's other relationships, maybe their newfound relationship that they are trying to have with a spouse. They're just going to get married. There's all kinds, or with their kids. They start to have children, and there's something just there. Don't seem to be right. They're having a hard time having a good relationship with their children. You know what it is? It's a hurt that they've been carrying along ever since their own childhood that they've never offered any forgiveness for, but they had the power to forgive. But they think that mom and dad hasn't suffered enough yet, so I'm going to hold on to this. And what it does is influence them the relationships with their kids. Amen. Or their spouse. Amen. Not to mention that when you do carry in all the hurt with you, you're doing nothing but forfeiting a part of your own life to the one that hurt you. Why? Because you're the tabulator over here and you've got to monitor if they've reached the level of hurt that they need to experience before you let go and forgive. So you can't even live your life because you're too caught up trying to tabulate whether or not they've suffered enough yet so you to let go. And so, it's not only safe to say that we benefit the same tonight, if not more, than the forgiven when we forgive. But it's also a biblical principle. Look at the scripture, Isaiah 43 and verse 25. This is what God says. In Isaiah 43 and verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. 
See, we get stuck in the mindset, Brother Zach McGee, that if I forgive them, then I've done something for the one that has wronged me. And there is a certain amount of truth to that. Amen. Amen. A certain amount of truth to that. And it does happen. But even God says that the purpose and the reason for the blotting out of the transgression, he denotes it's not so much for the one who gets the forgiveness, but it's for the one who's doing the forgiving. Look at it. He said, he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own. Do you see it? He says, for mine own sake. There's something that happens for you when you forgive. There's something that happens for you when you let go. When you give the power of a slight or a hurt and you say, you know what, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to go on beyond that. There's something that happens to you when you choose to forgive. The fact of the matter is this. None of us can go back in time and change the past. But you can heal the hurt that comes to you from the past through forgiveness. And so Christ... I know this is hard to put your mind around, isn't it? Christ says, I, even I, am he that brought up out the transgressions for my own sake. For my own sake. Now, I'm not asking somebody to get cocky on that. I'm going to forgive you because I'm getting a kickback. No, no, no. But the power of the message is this. When you do forgive, there is something that takes place on this side of the offense. And so we forgive, really, in approximately four stages. Number one, hurt is the first stage of forgiveness. You will not forgive if there is no hurt. You hurt, first stage. Second stage, you hate. Oh, no, Brother McGee. Oh, we'll dig in. You hate. You heal. And then, if possibly, you come together or you reconcile. And so, the first stage of forgiveness is hurt. And here's something that we need to sort out as a congregation, as people individually. We need to sort out this. We need to sort out our hurts and learn the difference between those that call for miracle forgiveness, as the scripture relays, and those that can, if you will, be born with a sense of humor. Because everything that comes down the pike doesn't necessarily necessitate forgiveness. What I'm saying is this. There are times we have taken minors and made them majors. And then, therefore, have cheapened the whole value of forgiveness by doing so. See, some people want to take every superficial scratch on the body and turn it into a wound that needs emergency medical attention. I'm sure you all had some calls. What does that do? Well, that consumes their time. That maybe has them dealing with something when someone else really needs some help. Oh, God. Now, what that says tonight is this. That's not to say that that hurt and that pain is subjective because it is. What do you mean, Brother McGee? I mean this. Some people have higher tolerance of pain than other people. It does. Sometimes an anesthesiologist needs to give an individual of same size more pain, medication to put them out than they do another individual just because they have some tolerance for the chemical in their body. Sometimes people that could go through labor without an epidural, amen, there's another one that may be similar to them, could not do it. It's just because of a tolerance of pain thing. Amen. So what may be no big deal to you may be a big deal to somebody else. All right? And I'm sure if we gave Brother Mason maybe, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, he could stand up here and maybe lighten us on the personality side why that is. Why, there are certain aspects that are big deals to some personalities and not as big to other personalities. Nonetheless, I love years ago, I read this saying, I don't even remember where it's from anymore, but I love it. It stayed forever in my mind. Nonetheless, the statement is this. The monkey on your back may be because of the chips that are on your shoulder. <sighs> so I say amen. Because... <laughs> Because there is that aspect of our text in Colossians 3 and verse number 13 where Paul told those new creatures, those newborn in Christ that they needed to put on among forgiving one another right before that was forbearing. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. To forbear means this. It is to make allowances for each other's faults or simply stated put up with each other 
What's that mean, Brother McGee? I'm saying sometimes we got scratches. There's some things, there's some things, and even at times we all can bear or forbear some things. And here's the test. What you can't bear, you must forgive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you can't forbear it, then forgive it. But don't just go straight to the store for forgiveness. It might be something you might be able just to forbear. Not to make everything an emergency. Not to make everything a life and death situation of some infraction that's been done to me. <laughs> they raised their left eyebrow. That hurt me deeply. Now that seems very trivial, but that's just as trivial as it gets at times. And so, whenever hurt comes, hurt brings us into that first stage. The first stage where it calls for forgiveness. And at that first stage, we have a decision that we must make. And the decision is this. Do I want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? Or do I want to go on suffering from this unfair hurt that's lodged in my memory? Healing or travel with it? Hmm. Healing or travel with it? And so whenever we then look at hurt, and again, I won't get too deep into this tonight because i still got three more weeks. Hurt creates a time or a crisis, you might even call it, for forgiving. And it always has three dimensions when we talk about hurt. Hurt that necessitates forgiveness got to meet these three criteria. Not like this one and that one or two of them, but all of them. It's got to meet this criteria. Number one, the hurt has to be personal. Number two, the hurt has to be unfair. Not as a vote that you take out, oh, that's unfair. Number three, and we'll get into it. The hurt has to be deep. It's got to be. It's got to be. Amen. It's got to be something personal, unfair, and deep. Amen. Because here's the fact of the matter. We can only forgive people. We cannot forgive nature. There could be something that happened perhaps within your family, your home. Perhaps it could be a child that was born or maybe not born into your family, maybe born with some type of physical challenge. Or there are systems in our world, political systems, corporate systems, all types of different systems that happen within our world, economic systems. Amen. But whenever it comes down to it, people are the ones that can be held accountable. People are the ones that can be forgiven because people are the only ones that can accept forgiveness. A system can't accept it. Uh, some type of natural thing that occurs or happens cannot accept it. Brother McGee, here's me in the Bible, right? This is what I tether to. Throughout the scriptures, look in your word. From Genesis to Revelation, I scanned all of the references on forgiving and forgiveness and forgave and so on and so forth. And as I scan the scriptures, forgiveness always relates to a person. Forgiveness always relates, even at times, to sins or transgressions that, guess what, are associated with a person or a group of people. If I can, just for a few examples, I won't give you them all from Genesis to Revelations. That would take up the remainder of my time. But nonetheless, it deals with people. Look, Leviticus 4.20. It shall be forgiven them. He was making reference to the whole congregation, the nation of Israel. Forgiveness associated with people. Leviticus 5 and 10. It shall be forgiven him. A soul, an individual, one person. Numbers 15 verse 26. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel. A body of people. Amen. That forgiveness is being coupled with Numbers 30 and verse number 5. And the Lord shall forgive her. I don't want to leave the female gender out, all right, until they, they felt slighted and got offended and was going to have her after the left tonight. Amen. Forgiveness is associated then with the other gender, amen, of humanity. Psalms 25 and verse 18, look at this. He says, forgive all my sins. Forgive sins, yes, but they're connected to the my, a person. They're associated again. Luke 7 and verse 48, whenever Jesus spoke to the woman, Amen, that it had five husbands, one that she had now was not her husband. Amen, he tells her to go, no man's condemned thee. What does he say? Thy sins are forgiven. Huh? 
forgiving sins or transgressions, yes, but those are attached to, associated with a person. And so we can only forgive people. Someone say amen. We can only forgive people because there are times, listen, there are times when nature and there are times when systems hand us something that we feel like a personal hurt has happened. We may even feel like it is grossly unfair what has happened to us. But it's then, whenever this happens, that people begin, here's what happens whenever nature gives us something that we feel is unfair, that we feel like is a personal hurt. You know where we go then? It's then that we begin to cast blame upon the Lord. Why? Because they can't get they can't get things to be amended from nature itself because it's not a person. So they go looking to blame a person for what nature has provided them. And they start to blame the Lord. It's kind of like the old saying, you can't get blood out of turnips. And so since they can't get it out of nature, they go then to the creator of all things. They go to the Lord and they try to get it out of him. In other words, many times people try to make the Lord liable for nature and systems. Amen. This is just me tonight. So they hold the Lord accountable. Because the reason is this. He has all power. In heaven and in earth. He could have changed what nature provided me. He could have influenced the outcome of the direction the system was going if he chose to. Right? But let's get something straight tonight because this is where I disagree with Mr. Smeeds. This is what I uh, firmly believe concerning God's word. God is not in need of forgiveness. God didn't do anything wrong. God is sovereign. I know it's hard to wrap. And please, I'm not being uh, unkind tonight because I know when those things happen by nature or systems, we are left there just totally devastated. But here's the fact. Amen. God doesn't have to seek for any forgiveness for hurting you because he is sovereign and he's not answerable to anybody and there'll be people that will argue that point but let's rest assured again when we look at exodus 4 and i read this every year and i probably i look through the bibles that i've read and i've underlined it almost every single year you know i try to start with a fresh bible and i'm still drawn to this one verse exodus 4 11 the bible says and the lord said unto moses this is when moses was telling god god i can't be be your deliverer i can't go before the people you know my tongue i can't speak real well and all this stuff and god's response to him was this and the Lord said unto him Moses who hath made man's mouth and who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seen or the blind have not I the Lord wait a minute God you're telling this thing that sometimes born in my life and I have a baby that cannot hear that's you now look now or the lame baby that's you yet God doesn't have to get forgiveness because he's sovereign, he's the all-powerful God. Because what you deem as something may be flawed, an unfair personal offense to us, it may seem like that, but it really isn't because God doesn't make mistakes. Now that's hard. That's hard to wrestle with, but that's scripture. God doesn't make mistakes. He isn't unfair. Why can my neighbor have a healthy child and then I have one that has, you know, Down syndrome? God, that's unfair. That's a personal hurt. Blame, 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 blame God. Because we're looking to something that we can, you know, people, you know, we can, we're looking for something where we can derive some, some comfort, you know, for the ill. But God is sovereign. God does not make mistakes. God is not unfair. The Bible states it again, Brother Terry, I know I've heard him over time through our years of being in church together use this verse so many times of Matthew 5, 45 that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know what that means? God is not unfair. There'll be babies with Down 
syndrome that's apostolic Christian people and there'll be babies with Down syndrome that enter homes of people that don't care a lick about God. God is not fair. It's not God trying to make it unfair for you in your life. It's just God being sovereign, making a choice and we might not know on this side of heaven why everything plays out the way it plays out but I guarantee you this, God doesn't need to offer, amen, we don't need to somehow get forgiveness from God. You did me wrong, God. No, no, no. God is honorable. God is true. God don't make mistakes. God is sovereign. And if they showed up that way, that's the way that God wanted them to come into your life for whatever purpose. Job, right? Was jaded by a myriad of things that entered his life that seemed personal. Family and health, that's getting pretty personal, isn't it? That seemed unfair. You mean lose all of this within a day? You know, he could have spread it out through a few years. Right? They were undoubtedly even maybe classifying as deep hurts. That stirred some frustration in Job and, and maybe a little bit of confusion inside of Job. Yet the Bible tells us in Job 1 and verse 22, in all of this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. You know what he did? He never raised his fist to God and said, God, <laughs> God, you need my forgiveness. No. He said, I never charged God foolishly. In other words, Job did not blame God. Although God had the power to change it all. Although God had the power to prohibit it from even occurring or taking place. He had the ability to prevent it from ever happening. He did not blame God. As a matter of fact, in one section of the book of Job, the Bible said that Job's closest friends, supposed to be closest, his comforters, they blamed God for Job. They blamed God for Job. Amen. And the suffering that Job was going through. And then they blamed Job because of the suffering he was going through. But never do you read in the scripture, read Job from the first chapter to the last chapter. Never in scripture did Job, the Bible says, but Job did not forgive God. The reason why is because God didn't need any forgiveness. No, you know what the Bible says on the flip side of it? It says, no, Job repented. It said in Job 42 and verse 6, Wherefore, he said, I abhor myself and repent and dust and ashes. Let me tell you the solution. When you feel like nature and systems and you're blaming God for all those things, God, 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 I'm blaming you, I'm blaming you. You know what you need to do when you start feeling that? You need to turn around and rather seeking, amen, rather seeking than going after God, amen, like he needs to get some forgiveness, you know, from you. You need to turn around and go to your knees and repent that you've even thought. Well, Job says, I'm not, pointing, I'm not pointing the blaming finger. I'm not charging God foolishly. I got a lot of confusion and frustration concerning what's happened, all this injustice that's come down the pike. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make sure I don't go that route, and I'm just going to repent to the Lord. Anytime you feel like blaming God and charging him with some injustice in the world because he has all power, the antidote to your blame game is repentance. Because when systems fail, and they will, and when people try to place blame upon the people that's responsible for the system, because here we go again. We've got to find a person. So we can't get forgiveness from a system. We can't get this. So they go looking for the responsible party. And the primary reason we do this is because we want to hold someone accountable for the misfortune that's come to us as a result of the system. And so the blame game ensues. The blame game is the owed as Eden, folks. Amen. Now here's the thing, though. Folks, some of these systems, you talk about political systems, you talk about, you talk about economic systems, they are so vast. You hearing me? They are so vast. But maybe if it's somewhat of a smaller system, maybe there are times you can draw a direct line between the effect of what happened and maybe a person or a group of per people that's in control, if you will, of the system. But many times the line gets very blurry because all the people that are involved in this broad network, those that are managing the system. And so with that, you know what's good rule of thumb? It's best to keep forgiveness for people 
and avoid going down the rabbit trails for possible blame of whose fault it was or who fault it could be, trying to get all the, sus- the suspects together because of a system of economic woe. You know, we had a downfall, and I lost so many in the stock market, and this happened with my car, and, you know, because of an economic woe. And i tell you who's the problem. It is the President of the United States. Well, I know he might be at the steering wheel, but there's a lot of nuts and bolts and axles between him and where the wheels are. I'm just. Hallelujah. So this may go without saying tonight. I know we got to get fused out here. (laughs) Hallelujah. That wasn't what had to be said. That's not what has to go without saying. Since initially hurt sets us up for meeting criteria number one of needed to consider offering forgiveness being healed and going on or walking with it here's something that we need to come to terms with if we get hurt and we deny the pain that we really feel what we are also doing in the same moment is then masking our need for forgiveness. Because sometimes people have said, they've even offered the apology. Oh, that's okay, it's no big deal. You know what what you say in that moment? It didn't really impact me. It's water off a duck's back. It really did. You just saving face. And so if you can't, if, if you can't acknowledge the pain, if you're going to deny it, then you're masking over the idea or the concept that you need any forgiveness. Mr. Schmid said it like this. He said, I sometimes deny my pain, he says, out of sheer pride. He said, I grip my teeth in heroic re- refusal to concede that certain people have enough power to hurt me. He said, I'm not going to let them have the pleasure of seeing me suffer. So we've been done wrong. We don't want anybody to think that they have the power to be able to do that to us, so we're going to cover up the pain, which then conveys that there's no, there's no infraction that needs any forgiveness. Let me just shake your head. Here's a case in point. Now, this isn't between people, but this, this I think, illustrates this well. You said a man... In a, in a room of a group of men, like Penrod, and you allow them all be constructing something with wood and nails. Not wood and nails, but wood and nails. We're getting to this century, okay. And they're going away, man. They're whacking those nails with a hammer, and all of a sudden, that man smashes a finger with the hammer. Andrew McBroom. He may quickly exit the room rather than yell or scream among that group of men. Why? He has too much pride to allow any other man see that he was hurt. Take that, put it in your life and society. We do the same thing with hurts between one another. Because of pride, I'm not going to let them see they affected me. I'm stronger than that. I can handle this. But you know what happened? You really do hurt. And you're crying in the back of your throat. But you're living life as though it doesn't affect you. But you go on into your future with your pain. With your pain alone. And so whenever pride gets in the way, you know what we do? We prolong the journey of forgiveness. Because there is no red flags going up that there's any need for forgiveness nobody's been hurt it's okay it doesn't matter nobody's been hurt and so if it didn't hurt and it doesn't matter then why is forgiveness necessary Hmm? there is a reason and I'm I'm getting to my clothes I'll I'll be wrapped up here a little after 45 (laughs) hallelujah There is a reason 
Why in the Old Testament system? So much blood was shed. And Bishop, animals died for the sins and the transgressions of the people, the nation of Israel. I am convinced in my spirit, what I felt God directed me this week, that God wanted his nation to associate their sins and their transgressions with the moaning of every bull and lamb's life that was taken for it. He wanted their eyes to be able to see the dismemberment, the cutting up of the animal that oftentimes happened, the dismemberment of the animal and the burning of the animal on the sacrificial altar. You know what he was wanting them to do? He wanted them to identify all of those atrocities of the dismemberment and the blood with their sins. What's he wanted them to see? The hurt. What's he wanted them to see? The hurt. And so with that being said, there was so much hurt and so much pain and so much agony caused by the nation of Israel and the sins and the transgressions of the people. He wanted them to see that so that they would make the connection. That hurt necessitates forgiveness. That hurt, that scale can only be balanced by forgiveness. In so much then, the perfect Lamb of God at Calvary in Mark 15 before they stretched him high and spread him wide, before they put the nails through his hands and feet, the Bible says in verse 23, this is before that, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Because prior to Jesus being affixed on the cross, prior to him being crucified, they said, here's a drink. It's mingled with myrrh, but myrrh in this particular substance, myrrh in this particular drink, amen, produced a bitter taste. And more importantly, that myrrh could act as a narcotic, as a sedative to provide some numbness to his mind and to his body, the pain emotionally and physically that he was feeling. And you know what? He says, I don't want that. He says, because unless they see the hurt unless they see the pain unless they see the agony amen they will not see the necessity of forgiveness but if I can show them the blood if I can show them my rent back if I can show them the flesh hanging from my head then they'll know without a doubt there's hurt and this requires forgiveness hallelujah he said refused it he wanted them to realize it for what it was for so I'm going to refuse this sedative. I don't want this to ease the pain or ease my mind or ease my body. People need to see me in the pain. And I need to define the pain so that they'll see their need of forgiveness. So that in the future, others can identify their need because of the pain. To forgive. If you'll stand with me tonight. So what happens in the episode then is one person feels the pain and then forgives the person who helped open the wound. It's four stages. We're just in stage number one, hurt, and three subpoints of that, of personal. And that's as far as we got so much. The pain's got to be personal. The next week we'll look at it's got to go to that other level of being deep, and it's got to that other level of being unfair. All three qualifiers in order to necessitate forgiveness. Can we bow our heads in this place tonight? Father, I love you, Jesus. Paul says, put on forbearance, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, if it was something that you said your disciples, we need to preach it. We need to teach it. Help me, God, to teach it and preach it. God, in our hour. I pray, oh God, for I would dare say there are more people than what we can even, Lord, begin to really, really, really own that sit on our church pews that are holding in their laps and in their lives. Lord, past wrongs, past personal wrongs, unfair wrongs, and, Lord, deep wrongs that they have never forgave. And they are somehow struggling in other relationships and other venues of their life because they've never forgiven 
but never forgiven. Perhaps it's because they didn't know how. Perhaps it's because, Lord, they thought if they did, they were letting the wrongdoer off. Perhaps they didn't understand that when they forgive, as God said, he said, I blot out the transgressions for my own sake. That there is something that occurs for them whenever they forgive. I pray, O Master, today. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, I'm asking God for your presence, Lord, just to, God, permeate, Lord, this building. Permeate, Lord, everybody sitting in the sound of my voice. God, there are some real natural issues that people, Lord, are contending with. There are real, perhaps, systems, Lord, in this life that people are contending with. There's some people that's mad and angry at you, God. They're mad and angry at you. But they can't give forgiveness. They cannot, they cannot have you say, well, you know, I'm sorry for doing this. No, 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 you didn't make a mistake. You didn't do it wrong. You don't make mistakes. You're sovereign. You don't have to answer to anybody. Help us, God, to learn how to take the blame game and, 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 and eternalize that in such a way we can turn that over into a spirit of repentance into the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I never, I never meant to blame you. I never, never meant to lay a finger on you. I'm just, I'm just dealing with some things. I just got some, I'm just kind of bewildered by everything that's happened. There's nothing wrong with admitting to God that, that something by nature or something uh, by a system, you know, has, has somehow hurt you or confused you or made you feel overwhelmed. There's nothing wrong with owning that to God and having that conversation of God. Just don't go to the place that you're going to blame him and then cause a schism to become between you and God and trying to require of him something that he won't give you because he hasn't done anything wrong he was tempted in all ways like we are yet he's without sin he hasn't done anything wrong oh can we begin to pray here tonight we'll close here soon I know we'll close here soon I feel the Holy Ghost Feel the Holy Ghost. Feel the Holy Ghost. God has the ability of somehow using the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes he comes in with a scalpel and he just lays back a layer of the skin just to see if there's something there that needs to be contended with. And I, 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 I will, I will uh, admonish you tonight that that'll probably be the next four weeks of him just laying a scalpel to our life. He's not going to pierce you through, but he's just going to lay a scalpel to your life. He's going to pull back some of the skin, and he's going to see if there's anything there that needs to be contended with. This is like exploratory surgery for the Lord in us. Brother Mason, I don't know if you have a tune on your heart that we can just end. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.